again, for those who are joining us for the first time today, we are going through the uh, book of Ruth, and we are now uh, going to be going into the first half of this chapter, and then we'll wrap it up uh, and close the book of Ruth uh, next Sunday when we go into the second half. I'll just give us a, a, a recap from last Sunday. We engaged with the entirety of chapter 3. And again, if you're joining us first time and perhaps uh, you never went through for it was always good to just uh, uh, remind ourselves of just the context of what we're reading in the Bible. As we engage with chapter 3 of Ruth, we continue to see God's sovereign providence working in the lives of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Uh, we saw how Naomi came up with a plan Ruth followed it, but with a slight change, as we recall, and Boaz's response to uh, help with being a redeemer himself or finding the redeemer that was ahead of him in line. We highlighted how Naomi, in the beginning of the chapter, chapter 3, took action and how at the end of the chapter, told Ruth to wait and trust that Boaz will do what he said he would do. On one hand, it was reassuring that Ruth and Naomi's need of rest was going to be provided. But on the other hand, wouldn't it be nice if this Redeemer was Boaz from the stories that we heard so far and what he has done for her? Or would it be this uh, other Redeemer that was ahead of him in line to do so? Today's passage, we see Boaz doing what he said he would do. And compared to the second half of chapter 3, where it was the middle of the night in secret, we see here in chapter 4, it's daytime and an open place. So let's continue to see God's unfolding grace in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. In the opening verse of chapter 4, we see that Boaz set out to do what he said he would do for Ruth, as Naomi told Ruth, wait because he's going to do what he's going to do. So Boaz went to the city gate in the morning and sat down there. And the reasons were that the city gate was the area where meetings were held, such as official uh, legal business meetings, legal transactions, and such of that nature. Uh, think of it today as like a, uh, like a courthouse uh, where officials gather to minister justice, or in this case, a legal business transaction. But also, the city gate was the best place to find someone as everyone passed through the gate to enter and leave the city. So think of it as like that one area where you have to enter and leave. And so what does Boaz do? Boaz goes to this gate because knowing that this is where he might have the best chance to see or find this other redeemer and waits for this potential Redeemer. Then we read that the Redeemer Boaz was looking for a peers. Uh, in the original Hebrew language here, uh, the language suggests that Boaz saw him almost as soon as he sat down to look. Chance, a stroke of good luck. No, as we've seen in the previous passages that it wasn't luck or chance, but believe the providence of God that happened chance for him, perhaps. As soon as he sat down, the person he was looking for was right there. And so Boaz greets him, 
and tells him to come and sit down next to him. Now, it's interesting here that Boaz doesn't address him by name, but calls him friend. And it's notable that this other Redeemer's name is never mentioned at all, if you look at yourself. Now, it's unclear why the author doesn't give us the name of this other Redeemer. Boaz would have known his name. And uh, in, in an official legal business meeting transaction, a person's name should be known. Now, there are many possibilities to the reasons why this other Redeemer's name is not mentioned in the story. But perhaps it's because of this other Redeemer's actions that we later see in verses 5 to 6, which we will see. That the author believes that his name is not worth mentioning or to maybe uh, save the embarrassment, perhaps. But whatever the case, this other Redeemer sees Boaz calling him, telling him to sit, he sits down. Then we read as we continue on that Boaz gathered 10 men who were elders of the city and asked them to come and sit down also at the city gate. We got the other Redeemer, then he went and got 10 elders from the city as well to sit down. Now these elders would be the ruling council, the committee of the ruling body of that city who governed various areas in the town and oversaw various legal matters and business transactions. And in this case, a family redemption matter. It looks like Boaz wanted to make sure that this whole process would be legitimate and be legally valid, taking the necessary steps to redeem or to help redeem Naomi and Ruth. We can also imagine a crowd uh, also gathering, you know, maybe curious to hear what's going on, see 10 elders from the city gathering, uh, what this meeting was about. So once things got settled, we read that Boaz makes his address to this other redeemer in front of the people and tells him of what this meeting was about. Interestingly, though, Boaz doesn't begin with Ruth, but with Naomi. And a piece of property, land, belonging to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. It is this parcel of land that this other redeemer has the right to buy. Redeem. Here, Boaz is pretty much saying, Naomi has some land. Just put it up for sale. But if there's a redeemer, he could buy this land and keep it in the family. Now, of course, the Redeemer would get to add the land to his own land, meaning more land. You're the one ahead of me in line. Are you interested? This looked like a great opportunity for this other Redeemer that he agreed to redeem the land. Just a quick context-wise, land was very, very important in the ancient world. But why start with Naomi's piece of land when he was setting out to do something for Ruth. Uh, this may have been, I'm entirely clearly sure here, this may have been an intentional strategy by Boaz out of his concern for Naomi as well. Um, we could look back in chapter 3, specifically verse 17, as he shows concern, the well-being for Naomi as well. And this piece of land was most likely the only thing that Naomi had left to her name. 
But purchasing the land from a redeemer would mean that she would be provided for, most likely through the profits that would come from that land. Now, when the other redeemer heard this, eyes must have got a little wider, ears must have perked up a little bit more sensitive to him what he's just hearing in this situation. To the other redeemer, this seemed to be a very good deal for him. And perhaps right before the other redeemer turned to the elders and saying, I agree to this deal and move forward with it, Boaz has more to say about it. He then tells the other redeemer about Ruth and what he would need to do. In other words, Boaz was saying, when you get the land, you also get Ruth the Moabite. You must marry her to raise up a child for the dead man, a child who will inherit the field when that child grows up. And Boaz says here, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, here's what that means. Boaz is asking the Redeemer to honor his family member's name, who is Elimelech. The ancient Israelite culture was very important to have an heir living on the family land. Land and family had deep connections. And to keep the land passed on to generation after generation was to ensure that the family line would continue. But here's what it meant for the other redeemer here, was that he would be getting the land, but once a child is born from Ruth, that child will then take and inherit the land. Not him, not his family, not his own children. And in addition, there will be additional mouths to feed Naomi and Ruth, which will mean more expenses, more money out of the pocket. So in summary, sacrifice was what was meant for the Redeemer here to do. Sacrifice because once a child was born from his marriage to Ruth, the Redeemer would then lose the land that he bought and there will be no benefit to his own children and property to compensate for the costs involved in taking care of Naomi and Ruth. So after hearing that, we read that the uh, other Redeemer changed his mind and tells Boaz to take his right of redemption. The other redeemer backed away from the deal as fast as he agreed to it. Perhaps this other redeemer saw the opportunity initially as personal gain to himself, low cost. Taking care of an old lady, Naomi, who would most likely not have an heir or future children at her age, in return for a long-term profit, of a cheaply bought land sounded wonderful. So in other words, this other redeemer was interested only if there was a benefit for himself and his own family. The sacrifice was too great for him. The price was too high. We see a contrast in this other redeemer and Boaz. Between these two redeemers, we see different attitudes different interests. The other Redeemer's attitude and interest is in himself 
as he is only concerned with his own interests, property, and future generations than that of his relative, Naomi. So he urges Boaz, oh, oh no, no, not me. Here, I'll give my rights to you. You can do it. Not only to redeem the land, but also root. Boaz took a different and more sacrificial approach. Embracing the opportunity to leave a legacy for someone else. He was willing to pay for the price for the good of others. It's quite fitting, as we mentioned earlier, that this other Redeemer's name is not mentioned at all in this passage, in this story. And yet Boaz's name is. And we still remember his name today. And so with that statement from the other Redeemer, the matter is about to be really settled, as Boaz was aiming to do. Boaz is willing to pay the price necessary to marry Ruth. And so what from here we see, and so Boaz's redemption is confirmed through an ancient custom as we see here in verses 7 through 8. Apparently, this was a custom that was practiced before the altar's time to confirm any legal transactions but no longer in use. And the person giving his sandal was the unnamed redeemer to Boaz. This would symbolize the transfer of something from one person to another. So think of it like today as like a handshake deal between two people. Now, it's not sure how and when this practice got started, as we're not told. But the point is that the deal has now been confirmed. And now with the other Redeemer uh, transferring his rights and responsibilities to Boaz to care for Elimelech's land and provide future children, Boaz gives a speech to the elders and everyone in attendance. He states that he has bought the field from Naomi and also redeemed the roof to be his wife. And he ends his speech with the phrase, you are witnesses to this day. Just in case any future questions come up regarding this business. Not only has Boaz settled the matter as he said he would, but he also made sure to have it backed up by the witnesses that saw and heard the entire thing. And also, maybe even for him, he may later on have backed away from it or saying, oh, maybe I, won't, I, don't, I don't feel like doing this, even himself for as well. Everyone present agreed that they are witnesses, that we have saw, we witnessed this transaction, this business meeting. And then notice what Boaz says to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance in this passage here. It was Boaz's intent from the very start to redeem the land and Ruth. It was his intent from the very start to have a child with Ruth. It was his intent from the very start to then give that land to that child so that the family line may continue. He already made that decision. He saw the cost, obviously. He saw the sacrifice that it will require of him. And he went forward with it, making it happen. 
but the meeting isn't quite done yet. Even though Boaz wasn't out to get praises and blessings or compliments from the people from this action that he just did, he received it anyway. The elders, people saw what Boaz has just done. So they respect and give blessing to Boaz. The first blessing is directed towards Ruth. As we read here, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. Now in these uh, last two verses here, we have um, a lot of different names, uh, perhaps names that we are familiar with, maybe not. Um, but I try not to get bogged down with the names, try to connect. They can get a little bit confusing, but I try my best here. Uh, Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob. And with their wives' servants, they birthed 12 sons whose descendants made up the 12 tribes of Israel. Leah was the mother of Judah, who was the ancestor of the tribe of Naomi and Boaz. So there's that connection there. So the people are asking the Lord to give Ruth a place alongside these quote-unquote founding mothers of Israel. Doesn't that remind us, if you were with us throughout the beginning of Ruth, of chapter 2, verse 14. When Boaz went out to, I'm um, sorry, when Ruth went out to work at Boaz's field during a lunch break, instead of telling Ruth to, that she's a foreigner, not an Israelite, a Moabite, to go over there and sit on her own and eat lunch, Boaz told her to come beside and sit down with us next to his fellow workers. An outsider, foreigner, a Gentile, we see that this was pointing to this point here, coming into the fold of God's people. With this prayer of blessing, Ruth was no longer a Moabite. She was no longer a foreigner. She was no longer an outsider. And Naomi's prayer all the way back in chapter 1 for rest for Ruth is now answered. And then we go into the second prayer. The second prayer of blessing is directed towards Boaz and says here, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned, renowned in Bethlehem. Pretty much this is a prayer for prosperity and a good reputation for Boaz. It's a blessing upon blessing. Boaz is already pretty prosperous. He already has a good reputation. But they're asking God for more prosperity and more good reputation for Boaz. And the third and final prayer of blessing is directed to the family as a whole. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, there is something notable here with the mentioning of Tamar. Uh, you can read for yourself the story recorded in Genesis 38 of this character named Tamar. She was also a widow. She too had lost her husband. She too had no child. She too was an outsider. She too went out in pursuit of a better future. But that's where the similarities end between Ruth and Tamar. While Ruth revealed her identity to Boaz and received a child in a legitimate marriage, Tamar concealed her identity and used deception to receive a child outside of marriage and through scandalous circumstances, she bore twin boys, Perez and Zerah. 
But in both instances, Ruth and Tamar, providence of God, was used to play an important role in God's plan of salvation. It's because God promised that the Messiah would come through Judah, and this line continued through Judah's son, Perez. These prayers of blessings given by the elders and the people will eventually all be answered. The last phrase here in verse 12, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman is actually very significant. The word translated here, offspring, also means seed. The ancient reader reading this, listening to this, hearing the references to Leah, to Rachel, Tamar, and the reference to offspring or seed would have brought to mind of certain significant promises in the Old Testament. For example, probably the biggest one will be in Genesis chapter 3. Where we read of God saying to his enemy, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then from that point on, from God's promise, readers will be waiting on this promised one who would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. Eventually, the promised offspring or seed, or seed did arrive. His name is Jesus. And he came to redeem us, which was paid with the ultimate price, his own life on the cross. A few things I like for us to take away, I'm sure there might be some other things that you're already thinking or perhaps contemplating so far. A few things, uh, something I think uh, would be good for us more practically speaking. While the story of Ruth is ultimately about the story of God's love and his wandering sheep, it does highlight the character of Ruth and Boaz. I specifically speak to those who are seeking to get married or parents who have then want their children to get married, out of all the qualities we may be looking for in his future spouse, godliness should be near the top. I see a kind of woman that men should be looking for in Ruth. I see a kind of man that women should be looking for in Boaz. Both have something similar. They both show qualities of Christ-likeness. Second, while this story highlights the character of Ruth and Boaz, again, it is ultimately about God and his love. We can see what kind of love this is of God when we see Boaz willing to pay the price in redeeming Naomi's land and Ruth. The other Redeemer's refusal to marry Ruth and is concerned about his own interests actually highlights or gives focus to the commitment and selflessness of Boaz who laid down his own interests to redeem Ruth. The author had showed us the legal steps in redemption in order that we may see the love that motivates it. God's love story is shown to us through the story of Jesus, the ultimate redeemer, the people that he has redeemed. 
Boaz was indeed a very special man, a man of high character and integrity. But Christ, even more special. Actually, Boaz is pointing, he's a type, he's a figure, he's a shadow pointing to Christ. He may have sacrificed his inheritance, property, expenses, to redeem Ruth. Jesus emptied himself, sacrificed himself by going to the cross to secure our redemption. In his great love, he laid down his life for us. Jesus redeemed us because he loved us. Church, we must never lose the wonder and awe of our Redeemer's love for us, displayed to us perfectly on that cross. And so considering God's love for us, we should be asking ourselves questions from time to time. Do I know this love? Do I have a relationship with the one who showed me this love? Is my gratitude and love for my Redeemer growing, maturing? But perhaps instead of asking those types of questions, are we asking perhaps different kinds of questions? Specifically, are we like the unnamed Redeemer? Asking questions that are more focused on ourselves than on God and others. I'm sure many of us have answered here in this room the first two questions. Do I know this love? Do I have a relationship with the one who showed me this love? And for some, this was many years ago. But perhaps many of us have just stopped there in our questioning. We have just stopped there in our growth as Christians and don't want to deal with the, the fight to grow in our love for the Lord or fight to grow in our holiness. Instead of contemplating, reflecting, studying, and aiming to grow in holiness, we get occupied with certain specific questions instead. What's in it for me? What will it cost me? How can I get what I want with little to no sacrifice at all. We tend to do calculations that gives the best and sometimes most benefit to me. But as we have seen in our journey through the book of Mark, that's the previous book that we went through before going to Ruth, we saw that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, with kingdom values vastly different from this world. But the unnamed Redeemer his calculations didn't match with God's calculations, but rather with the world's. In Mark chapter 10, if you recall, we talked about the rich young man. Just like the rich young man, by holding on to what he thought was of the highest value, but in the end, he lost something far greater. Boaz, on the other hand, was in line with God's kingdom calculations and his kindness and generosity to Ruth. There was nothing scheming about his generosity to her. 
just the grace of a generous and cheerful giver who he himself had experienced in his own life. It was an overflow from his own life. He wasn't marrying Ruth for what he could get out of the deal. In fact, in terms of financial and social calculations, it was likely to be a red negative than green positive for him to marry Ruth. An entering relationship so that Ruth could have a son to inherit the land. He would have had to put his own money in it to buy it, which would make no sense financially. But of course, God's wisdom works on a different uh, level than from the wisdom of this world. The question is, we ask ourselves, should ask, should ask ourselves, are we living our lives according to the wisdom and calculations of this world? Which tends to, if you really think about it and see it, if we're aware of it, tends to consistently tell us that we can have it our way, be more comfortable, better convenience, and sacrifice as little as possible, if any. Or are we aiming to live our lives according to the wisdom and calculations of God? that we can know more if we diligently immerse ourselves in what God has given in us, given to us in order to do so, which is the Bible. We're asking ourselves the hard but needed questions from time to time, such as, am I growing in my gratitude and love for my Redeemer, Jesus Christ? And am I seeing the changes in my life that overflows from that gratitude and love? If not, for us not to go into despair, and especially not an attitude of whatever, it is what it is, so I'll just, just go with that. It's not about perfection, because we'll never get there on this side of heaven, but progression in our holiness. In other words, becoming more and more like Christ. It doesn't make sense to be a Christian and not care about or have the desire to grow. It doesn't make sense. It's like seeing a newborn baby and thinking, yeah, right there. No more growth needed. Stop right there. But just like a baby grows, matures, Christians also should be growing and maturing. It may not look the same for everyone, and it may not be the same pace as everyone. That shouldn't be an excuse. Christians should not be diligent in his or her walk with the Lord. Christians should not be thinking and believing and saying, well, I'll just stay here where I am, just you know, keep my growth here. Just be content with my own thoughts about the Christian faith, the Christian life, the church and teachings of the faith. Yeah, I'll do some good works here and there. Of course, nothing too much. Keep the guilt away. All the while trying to keep the sacrifices at a bare minimum, if any. Should not be thinking, believing, acting that way. So church, Christians, my fellow brothers and sisters, let us be diligent in humble dependence upon the Lord in our growth to be more like Christ. And to ask ourselves and one another from time to time of our growth. As we can see here, 
not only one person here is in this worship service. We're gathered here together as a body. Not to condemn one another, but to encourage one another. For us to help each other to have the kingdom calculations and values. To live our lives out of that gratitude for our Redeemer. Now for those who may think or feel that you are too far away from God. That the distance is too far to make. So you think, yeah, I'll just, just stay here. Be like the prodigal son who walked back to the father. I see that God is overjoyed to see his wayward son or daughter come back home. Take some time to pray in response to what we had just heard from God's word this morning. For those joining us for the first time, we're going before the Lord in prayer. Whatever you may have thought or thought came to mind or other things that came to your heart, I encourage you to not that let not let that slip away or ignore it, but before go before the Lord and bring it to Him. It could be a prayer of thanksgiving. It could be a request. It'll be a prayer of repentance or confession. It'll be a prayer where you're asking for clarity or understanding, whatever it may be. You go before him, and if you don't know what to say, you can go before his presence in silence as well. Whatever it may be, let's go before the Lord and respond in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we give thanks to you for this time where we can worship you, hear from your word. Father God, we saw from today's passage the, the character, the actions that Boaz took. Lord, as we saw just his actions and the sacrifice that he knew and he made that choice to redeem Naomi and Ruth, I pray that we don't stop there. That we see that he is just but a figure, a shadow, pointer to you, Lord Jesus, my ultimate Redeemer. Lord, you have redeemed us. You saw the cost. You saw the sacrifice that it would take in order for that to happen. And Lord, you willingly, passionately, and compassionately we're on a mission to go die on that cross. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray from that thankfulness and gratitude that we will grow, be more and more like you as we grow in our love for you. Would you help us in that? Lord, we know that you, that you would do so. I pray, Lord, Father God, for some of us who may be thinking we're too far off. Pray that you'll remind us, God, that it's never late, never too far. That we can always go to you. Then, Lord, you come to us. The joy to see on our daughter return to you. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.